Welcome to the Humans Under Grace Bible Study Podcast. We're getting ready to have an old-fashioned line-on-line, precept-on-precept study of God's Word to search out those deeper truths and gain a greater understanding of the Bible. We would love for you to join us today as we dig in and learn what it is God would truly have us to know from His letter that He wrote to us. All right, God bless you. Welcome into the Humans Under Grace Bible Study. We're going to be hitting the ground running today back in the book of Genesis, chapter 11, verse 1. Now, in our last lecture, we kind of went over, we got into Nimrod and how it says that he was a mighty hunter for the Lord, but what that actually means is that he was a mighty hunter to pull folk from the Lord. He was doing everything he could possibly do to show the strength of man and to rebel against God. And really, when it comes down to it, Man has nothing. God created everything, including us, and for us to rebel against that is not smart at all. It's pretty just, it's just not smart. We're going to be picking it up in chapter 11, verse 1, and we're going to get in a little bit more detail of just how brilliant this guy was. We ask for that understanding and clarity in Jesus' name. And verse 1 reads, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. The Shinar is now that modern day is going to be Babylon, but that's modern day Iraq and Iran around it, around that area right now, Iraq. Verse three. And they said one to another, "Go, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly." And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. Now you see here that. They are so determined to rebel against God that they're not allowing a sun-dried brick to to happen. No, they needed to be they they were in a hurry, so they made this kiln. This is the the only kiln ever mentioned in Babylon, and they made this kiln so that they could speed up this process, so that they could show, oh yes, we're mighty. Now this slime that it's talking about is like a tar, and it Babylon is very well known for this tar and. It's spoken of several times in the in the Bible, and it's even it's so strong a tar that they found it, and you can't hardly pull the bricks off of it without breaking the bricks, even today. So this is you know it, it's one of those things, just like the gold of Ophir, where you had the slime of Babylon. Verse four, and they said, "Go, let us go to let us build us a city and a tower." whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, as we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Nimrod's leading this rebellion against God, and he's saying, let's do this great thing, and then we can have our own salvation. If, If God decides he wants to flood the world again, we can climb on up this thing and just be saved, because we're gonna get to heaven ourselves. Now one thing about whose top may reach unto heaven in the in the Hebrew, what this is saying is, and it's top with the heaven. And there were there have been many ancient temples found in this area in Egypt and throughout Egypt that has the zodiac on the top. So kind of what we see here is the beginning of the star worship and moon worship, stuff like that. They're they're creating their own god is what's going on. Because, you know, they're just they're just a little more advanced than our father. So, you know, why would they want to worship the creator of everything? They'd rather worship the creature. 
All right, verse 5. And the Lord came down, now that's not to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, my people is one, and they all have one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. You see, we're kind of getting that way again in the world today. If you have a smartphone, you can speak to somebody of a different language, and it'll translate it right there for you, and you can have a conversation. Now, naturally, it's not as quick a conversation as it would be if you understood each other just straight up, but it's still, we're getting to where we can communicate with each other all the way around. And at the same time, they, the, the world today is starting to kind of do their best to create their own salvation again. You might say, well, how is that? Well, this cryogenically, uh, to, to be cryogenically frozen, where, well, you have a disease and you've lived this long, but you think maybe in a hundred years or a couple of hundred years, you know, however long it may take to get this cure, you just go ahead and freeze me now and then wake me up whenever that comes, cure me, and then I'll live on forever. Or, you know, just replace me, kind of like the, that movie about that robot that become a man. And then also there's cloning that everybody's trying to do. You know, somebody gets to the end of their life and they decide, well, I just think I want to do it again, clone me, and I'll just start all over and we'll just keep cloning and I'll just live forever. The only salvation, only eternal life is through Jesus Christ. So to, to make our own salvation is to basically snuff at the, at the sacrifice of Christ. And that will bring God down. And I'm sure very soon he will be coming back anyway to reestablish his kingdom. Verse 7. This is God speaking. Go to, let us go down. And he says this a few times, and every time he says this, this is judgment. And there, and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of the earth, and they left off to build the city. So he scattered all their languages. This is where the dialects of the world come in. All these folks were around here, and they, could, they were communicating, and they were rebelling against God, and God said, well, okay, that's cool. They're, they're, they're brilliant, they're, and they're, they are just sharp as a nail right here. They're sharp as a tack. Let's go over there and watch this. And he confused them. That's what the word babble means, confusion. So they weren't too sharp anymore. Uh, verse 9, therefore is the name of the city called Babel, because the Lord did confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. And as I said, that the Babel is confusion. And you can see that, you know, Satan is, has a type as the king of Babel. He comes to take over the world, but how does he come to take over it? In confusion, he confuses all those into believing that he is the true Christ. And it's that confusion that will cause many to stumble. It's that whenever Christ would say, I am at that block, I, they, they, I will become a stumble, stumbling block. That headstone that becomes a stumbling block. It's because everybody's worshiping Antichrist, and then Christ shows back up, and they stumble over that because they thought they were really worshiping the true Christ. They were confused into believing that they were worshiping the true Christ. 
All right, so verse 10, we're going to get into the generations of Chem uh, down to Abram, which will later be called Abraham. So I'm going to spare you the word for word, and we're just going to kind of breeze right through this. So Shem beget Arphaxed, Arphaxed beget Selah, Selah beget Eber, Eber beget Peleg, Peleg beget Ru, Ru beget Sireg, Sireg Nahor, Nahor Terah. And Terah lived 70 years and beget Abram, Nahor, and Haran. All right, now something important about this, just as Shem, Ham, and Japheth were in inverted order, where Shem was the younger, Abram is also the younger brother of the three. But the reason he is put first is because the genealogy of Christ would continue through his line. So he receives that blessing of being honored as the firstborn, that double portion. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. And we'll take these a little slow because this is important to understand. Terah beget Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran beget Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took them wives, and the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. All right, now don't let that confuse you. At this time, there's no law of incest, so this is fine. But what happened was Haran was born, and he had Lot, Milcah, and Iscah. And then Haran passed away. Now, Lon's brother, I mean, Haran's brother, Nahor, married Milcah. So that's his niece. And nowadays, that seems really weird, but they were keeping a your genealogy back then, so it just kind of, we're going, you know, we just look, look past that. As I said, there was no law of incest, and through Nahor and Milcah would come uh, Rebecca, Isaac's wife, so it, it definitely kept this genealogy pure. Now, in Genesis chapter 20, verse 12, we'll see that uh, Sarai is actually Terah's daughter but from a different wife. So she is Abraham or Abram's half-sister. Now, the reason I mention that is because later on, there's a couple of instances where they will go, her and Abram will go into a different country, and he will tell her, you know, make sure you tell them that you're my sister and not my wife because you're so beautiful that they'll probably want to kill me and just keep you. And then through God's protection, everything would work out. You know, the... Uh, in one of the instances, the king saw that she was beautiful and talked to Abram, and he said, no, 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 she's my sister. And then everybody there got balls and everything. And, and he said, you know, why would you lie to me for? I wouldn't have messed with her if I'd have known. So technically, he wasn't lying. She was his sister, but she was his wife. So, it, you know, just kind of one of those little subtle things there. Anyway, so back into verse 30. But Sarai was barren. He had no child. And Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, Haran, his son's son. So this is basically it's just Terah's grandson. And Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. Technically his daughter also. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan 
and they came into Haran and dwelt there. Now, this is a different, this is not a city named after his son, Haran, but in the Chaldee, this is Choran. And what it is, is a frontier town of the Babylonian Empire. So it's right out there on the edge. And the Choran was devoted to the worship of the moon god, which really pulls back in onto that Nimrod building these temples that worship the astrology and the stars, all that stuff. So they just moved into that city. No big deal. Verse 32, In the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. All right, we'll move right on into chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto the land that I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thee a great name. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, how is it that through Abram, all, all nations would be blessed? Because through his lineage would come Christ. Just as mother, I mean, just as Eve is the mother of all living, well, Abram's a blessing to all nations in that same sense that Christ is from them. Verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. So he was, he was probably pretty well established there by the time he started moving. <clears throat> Verse 5. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, so his nephew, and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. The souls would be those who uh, not only work with them, but their, their household, basically. Uh, those that would come to work with them and then, you know, as far as like Lot, maybe picking up a wife and stuff like that. And verse 6. Nope. Continuing on in verse 5. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sikkim, where the plain of Morah, or Moreh, and the Canaanite, the, Can the Canaanite, was then in the land. Now this is a specific deal here. What this is saying, the reason why that is pointed out, is that it's saying that there was that second influx at this point. Now the first influx that I'm talking about, I'm talking about the giant. The first influx was between Adam and Noah. Between in, in that time, the hybrids came. Now, here again, we have another influx of this, the Canaanite. Satan saw that, you know, as we went through the genealogies before and the dispersion of Noah's children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, that Canaan pretty well stayed around the Palestinian-Israel area of today. And so this Canaanite is that Satan pretty well knew that God was going to call that the home. You know, that was going to be the promised land for these tribes coming back. Now, how would he have known that? Because God in, in the book of Ezekiel said that he looked upon Jerusalem and she had an unclean birth. And that unclean birth was that it was founded by basically he, the Jebusite. And he took her and cleaned her up and married her. 
he made an eternal covenant with that spot, Jerusalem. So at this point, Jebus has already been founded. So with him finding her, the, the city, as born unclean, well, then that would mean that that's already, already in the process here, that God's working his plan out. So Satan would know that that's where the, the Israelites are headed. So how about we just go ahead and put this next influx of giants in there to fight them off so they can't get there. I know that was a drawn-out explanation of this, but that's the reason why that's important to catch that. And that's where your the king of Og would be, or Og, that, the great king, and then the Anakim, and Goliath, and the Philistines, and all them. All right, so verse 7. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded, and there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And naturally, this is the, the Canaanite. This is around the, the promised land. This is around the Israel. Verse 8. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Now, this, he, is, he is worshiping God here. You know, Abram is one that God would say that through his faith, he was justified and that he was one that God called friend. That's how good a man he was. That's how, how much he trusted in God and how much he loved God and God loved him. Verse 9, And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. So he was just kind of passing through Canaan. You see, the time wasn't right to take that over. There were some things that needed to happen first. Verse 10, And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass that when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that there art a fair woman to look upon. You are very beautiful. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me. But they will save thee alive. He's saying, like I said before, she's just so beautiful, they're going to want to just go ahead and knock me off and take you and just keep you as their bride. 13. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Now, what we see here is God has already promised that he's going, to be, he's going to be blessed and he's going to be a blessing unto many nations. You see a little bit of fear creeping in here. Verse 14, And it came to pass that when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commanded her before Pharaoh or commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen, and he had asses and men servants, and maidservants, and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Now you see here, because of Abram's fear and allowing them to think that she is his sister, God's got to intervene and step up and protect this line. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why hast thou not 
Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to my wife. Now therefore, behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. Get on out of here. We're tired of these plagues. You done lied to us. To them, it was a lie. You know, technically, as I said, she was his sister. She was his half-sister. <coughs> but it was a lie all the same because she was his wife. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that they had. Now, you see in this that fear was also, it was used to help to kind of uh, establish Abram a little more. Because while they stayed there, he got treated very, very well. During this famine, you could look at this famine as an attempt to snuff out this, this seed line here. And God protected them. They went into Egypt. God protected the line through putting these plagues on them. But at the same time, they're being treated like king, or Abram's being treated like king. They're being treated like royalty. And they got sheep and oxen and servants and all kind of stuff to help them on their way. And now they're telling them to get out. Well, they didn't strip them of all that. So now they still have all this livestock. Their wealth increased tremendously during this little experience right here. All right, chapter 13, verse 1. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him, and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver and in gold. He, he really made it out. He, he made out good on that deal. And notice here that he, he's leaving out of Egypt. And Abram, and so verse 3, and he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel. Now this, this Bethel means house of God. Unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai. Unto the place of the altar which he had made there at first and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. You see, he got out of Egypt before he started worshiping God, or before he uh, he went back to that altar where he had already been worshiping God. He didn't just start making altars all over the place and just scattering it out and diluting them down. He went back to this one where he had originally began, basically, I guess you could say, in this area, his worship. He went home. Verse 5. And Lot also, which went with Abraham, had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them, that they, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. Now this don't just mean that their flocks were great, this means they had a lot of people with them now too. They had a lot of servants, a lot of uh, workers, and it just, they needed more room. They needed to spread out. And there was strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled in the land. Now, there's that mention again of these hybrids. And this is, we'll be able to see that they're starting to really grow here. And they're starting to kind of take over the land, which would be the cause, basically, uh, for the Israelites to go into Egypt and to stay there. And then whenever, by the time they come back out, the Canaanite, Perizzites, and Hivites, and all those will be very great. But at the same time, it will be God showing, hey, I got this. Y'all just come right on in the land. I'm going to take care of all of them. So that's kind of the reason for all this. 
and verse 8. And Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. It is not the whole land, or is not the whole land before thee. Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou will take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And now he's given Lot the choice of wherever you want to go, you go and I'll go the other way. I mean, it's just, he is making peace. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered. Everywhere before the Lord destroyed, everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest to Zoar. So, he looked over here and he saw this great pasture, <clears throat> this great pasture, beautiful. It's the high country. It's the, it's the place to go. But it was also city. Sodom and Gomorrah had mixed. They they had kind of started doing the the stuff of the Nephilim and and messing around and going against God. And you know he was fixing to just walk right into it. So verse eleven. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves one from another. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. So Lot decided he wanted to go into the city and do, I guess, kind of live a little easier life. He wouldn't have to stay out on the plains. He wouldn't have to stay out with the sheep and tend to them. Uh, he would still tend to him, but at this time, you know, he could still also come on back into the city and get the pleasures of that life also. 13. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceeding. And the Lord said unto Abraham, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward and southward, and eastward and westward. Now this is God's covenant, his promise to Abraham or to Abram. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will take thy seed as the dust of the earth, or I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent, and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Now this, right here where it says, And thy seed as the dust of the earth, so if a man can number the dust of the earth, then he shall, number, he shall be able to number your seed. So through Abraham would come Isaac, and also Ishmael. Ishmael was actually... And... Through Isaac would come Jacob and the twelve tribes, or the twelve patriarchs. Which and Jacob, ever you know, you know that Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Many people today believe that Israel, that little the the country that in the Middle East right now that was established in 1948, is what's left of God's people. They believe those are God's chosen people, and that's it. And that. That's Abram's line. Well, if Abraham or Abram, if his seed was to be 
so innumerable, like the dust of the earth, then how can that little country be that line? That would kind of be like God falling back on his promise. God don't do that. He makes a promise, he stands to it. So then what can we say about that? <clears throat> In whenever the 10 tribes, or the, whenever the 12 tribes were together under Solomon, everything was peaceful, and they were a great, great nation. When his son, whenever his son Rehoboam took over, Rehoboam decided he was going to be a little rough on him. He wanted it his way. You know, he was kind of spoiled. He grew up with the silver spoon and just, you know, you're going to do it my way or hit the highway. But Jeroboam came up, and which was, it, he would later become the king of the 10 northern tribes. And they had them a little argument. Well, then they broke away. So you had the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin in the south with some Levites. And then you had the 10 northern tribes. And those 10 northern tribes, along with some Levites scattered throughout, went into captivity to the Assyrians. While in captivity, they migrated north. And then once they were, they were freed, they continued north over the Caucasus Mountains and came into Europe. And through Europe, they would find many of those nations and even get over into the America and Canada. So if you take all of those into effect, that there are seed, there is seed from all of Israel, all around the world, then you get into that innumerable part. Also from Abram, as I mentioned, was Ishmael. Now Ishmael had 12 children, just as, or it, yes, and I believe it was Ishmael had 12 children. And those are kind of, if you look at Christianity, but then there's another great religion out there. And by great, I mean uh, many people follow it. And I'm sure you can probably guess which one that is. And it's believed that through him is where that one came from. So there is a great multitude of people that came out of the loins of Abram not just one little country over in the Middle East. Now, when we get, in our next lecture, we'll pick it up in verse 14, or chapter 14, and we'll continue on talking about Abram and his adventures. And it'll, in the next chapter, we'll get into also a little bit more about the giants and the names that they took and stuff like that. I hope you've enjoyed it. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Humans Under Grace Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, you can go to our website at www.humansundergrace.com and under the Contact Us page, submit your question. Also, you can write to us at Humans Under Grace, P.O. Box 1467, Tatum, Texas 75691. Thank you and God bless you.